0: Thanks for tuning in to the Thirst For More Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smilly. The Thirst For More Podcast was created to help strength and conditioning coaches, personal trainers, fitness enthusiasts, and anyone that loves lifting heavy shit all be connected under one roof. We take deep dives into coaching, programming and training, running gyms, nutrition, and overall improving your knowledge in the field of strength and conditioning. If you're new here, I'm glad you're able to tune in and hope you can just take away one awesome piece of information today to help you along with your journey. If you're a returning supporter, I appreciate you being along for the ride. Now let's dive into today's episode. On episode 30 of the Thirst for More podcast, I sit down with good friend Jason Nunn, who is currently the strength conditioning coach at Mooresville High School in Mooresville, Indiana. At this time, he currently works with over 500 athletes in the high school. He also was previously at Chip Genasi Racing, where he was a strength conditioning coach for their IndyCar and IMSA race teams. And then prior to that, he was also at White Limb High School, Indiana State University, and has even worked in the private sector owning his own facility. Jason and I talked a bunch about high school strength and conditioning and also racing strength and conditioning. I feel like this is a definitely an area where many people are very uninformed of how pro-level racing works. And Jason gave us some great insight from the strength and conditioning perspective of what's needed each step along the way to get those athletes ready not only the racers but the pit crew the staff everybody is fully invested in the strength conditioning program there and it was great to hear how he made an impact but also how that works from a logistical standpoint and then we also talk about general high school strength conditioning what he gets done in a little bit of, the amount of time that he gets each day with his 500 plus athletes that he works with how he systematically runs things and then trying to make sure you turn over some of those big stones big rocks each and every day that you're in the strength and conditioning facility to get the athletes ready to perform on the field court pitch or what have you so again jason's a great friend of mine really appreciate him sitting down jumping on the show so enjoy episode 30 with my guy jason hey jason this is brandon how you doing man i'm doing great man how about you i'm good i'm good uh thanks for coming on appreciate you uh the last time i saw you was at our powerlifting meet mm-hmm. you and the wife did really good so uh good to see you guys then obviously you've had some changes uh since then now being at mooresville high school doing strength and conditioning so um to kind of just kick things off um you know just give everybody a brief background of how you've gotten to strength and conditioning uh you know where you've been during your career and then you know now obviously your current responsibilities at uh, mooresville
1: So originally got me into strength and conditioning um, was, you know, as a as a kid, as an athlete myself, uh, I figured out at an early age, uh, I would say probably middle school, the, the stronger and faster I got, the better I got at my sports. Uh, My main sport was was always football, but I also dabbled in some baseball and wrestling as well. And I noticed, especially with the wrestling part, you know, the stronger, more explosive I was better. I got at wrestling Uh, stronger, more explosive, faster uh, was always, you know, always helped me, you know, excel on the football field. So that was always something that that's kind of what got me started. And then I started watching like the old World strongest man, uh, videos with Bill Kazmaier and, and all those guys. So I'd be up late, you know, uh, probably later than what I was supposed to be, uh, as a kid watching those, if you remember on ESPN oh, and yeah. you know, watching those guys. And so strongman was always something that I, I had a goal of myself since I was a little kid that I wanted to compete in. Uh, so, you know, fast forward to college, you know, I went to, to Indiana state originally goal was to be a, a football player. Um, you know, and that, uh, that got me to Indiana State. Um, once I got there, um, you know, was playing football, decided being a strength coach was what I wanted to do. Uh, so started interning in the weight room there with the strength coach at the name. It was uh, Kip Heitrick. Uh, first hired me as an intern there during undergrad. And then I kind of parlayed that into a graduate assistant there at Indiana State. Uh, once my master's degree was done, I had an opportunity to go work in the private sector. So I did that for about eight years. You know, at first I was working for someone else, and then I ended up opening my own facility after about a year and a half. So spent a little over seven years uh, owning my own facility here on the west side of Indianapolis. Um, And then during that time, I also got back into coaching. I was working at Danville High School uh, in the afternoons uh, and on weekends, Uh, I was their first strength and conditioning coach that they hired. It was all coach-led, like sport coach-led prior to that. So I was the first strength and conditioning coach. I did that for a couple of years, and then that really kind of reignited that passion, I think, for wanting to do it in the the public sector. Uh, Then I got an opportunity to go back to Indiana State uh, as a full-time assistant. Uh, So I took that opportunity. I wasn't there very long before uh, Whiteland High School came around. Um, they offered me a, a a really good opportunity to go there, so uh, so I went to Whiteland High School. Was there for four years. I really liked it at Whiteland. Um, I, I still talk to all the people there. Uh, matter of fact, we just played them on Friday night, so it was kind of bittersweet because yeah. we won, uh, but you know you're you're beating your friends. Uh, so like I said, it was kind of bittersweet for me, but, but we won. Um, and anyways, uh, once I was at Whiteland, I, you know, I had the opportunity to go work for Chip Ganassi race teams. Uh, so I was a strength and conditioning coach, uh, for Chip Ganassi race teams for about a year, which was, which, a, it was an awesome experience. It's a really cool job. Um, but Mooresville made also, you know, made me a really good offer and, uh, They built some brand new facilities, and uh, so here I am here at Mooresville. So over the course of, I'd say what, I'm on year 17 now of my career, I've worked with everything from, you know, middle school athletes to soccer moms to, you know, the public setting, private setting. I worked with a couple NFL hopefuls and NFL draft pick, uh, power lifters, and anything in between there, I feel like. So uh, I've been kind of a jack of all trades in my career so far
0: yeah yeah, you, you've definitely been everywhere I feel like I've seen a lot of it transpire and it's been cool to watch you not only take on those positions but it looks like they've all went incredibly well since you've you've taken them and um I know whiteland for sure like made a lot of progress while you were there and now you're at Mooresville and the new facilities that they got there I've seen the pictures and stuff online like it's really incredible what they've what they've done there um and then for the racing that's something that really got me intrigued. About that, can you kind of explain what it's like to work in the racing world as a strength and conditioning coach? And I think a lot of people know that racing's got a lot of money involved. Mm-hmm. Um, there's with all the sponsorships and TV views and everything like that. Like a, they've they've got the ability to afford good quality strength and conditioning coaches. And I don't think many people know that that's one even an opportunity that actually exists. I don't mm-hmm. think many people think that there is a strength and conditioning coach involved in that sector. But then you know, what does that job look like i mean I don't, I don't even me i'm trying to think you know i don't know exactly what a day-to-day job looks like for a strength and conditioning coach at the racing level yeah.
1: so i mean there's a couple different um there's there's a there's done differently in different organizations so uh with nascar is completely different from indycar uh with nascar with their pit stops uh the rules are different so with nascar i believe they're only allowed to have two guns over the wall wheel guns uh, whereas indycar you're allowed to have four and so that changes the dynamic of the pit stop when you've got four guys that can take wheel nuts off versus two the nascar guys have to run around the car uh, so they've got to be a lot more agile than say our indycar uh, pit crew members Um, so a lot of times what they will do is they will take Former D1 athletes. So let's say you're a football player. Let's say you play linebacker or tight end uh, at IU or even like baseball guys. They'll take shortstops, center fielders, people like that. Um, And they will, you know, if that's a guy who couldn't move on to the next level. So let's say I'm a D1 baseball player and I can't move on to play Major League Baseball. You know, just because my ability or, or whatever. Right. And say the same thing with like your football player. You know, he can't move on to the NFL because of ability or, you know, whatever injury history or whatever is preventing them from going to the NFL. Well, they can have an opportunity to still pursue an athletic career in doing pit stops. Um, so what they will do is they will recruit those guys and they will come in. And your job, if you're a NASCAR pit crew member, is you come in in the morning, you do your treatment. They have athletic trainers there on site. uh, You'll lift. And then from there on, you're doing pit stop practice. And that's your entire day. Right. And so they'll hire a strength coach, you know, like like me or you to come build that program. Um, IndyCar is a little different. Uh, They don't have the budget that that NASCAR does. Um, A lot of times the uh pit crew members are also the mechanics or the truck drivers um that said they're also stationary so they have four guns over the wall so you're just changing one tire whereas um uh, like i said in nascar you're having to run around the car uh, so they're pretty much stationary they get their spot the car pulls in they change the tires um as a strength and conditioning coach in indycar it becomes a lot more keeping them healthy um and and keeping them in shape and keeping them going throughout the rigors of having to be a mechanic at the track and the travel schedule and keeping them healthy enough to where they can continue changing tires. The difference is like at NASCAR, you might have a guy in his you know early 20s who just finished college, where these IndyCar mechanics are usually quite a bit older. They've had to work their way up to get there. For them, you know, that's the pinnacle of their career. They may have started out. You know, with sprint cars working on that and kind of, or drag racing or something like that and work their way up, you know, to where they're now a mechanic at the IndyCar level. So for them, that's the top of the pile. Right. Um, So it takes them a little bit of time to get there. So you're dealing with a lot more 35 to 45 year olds who are still out there changing tires and having to travel and do all of the other things. So, uh, as a strength and conditioning coach, your focus is more on, uh, general fitness and I don't want to say injury prevention because you're really not, not preventing much. If they get out there and they get hit by a car, there's nothing that you can do about it. Um, but your goal is to, to keep them healthy and reduce the amount of injuries. Most of what you will see at the IndyCar level will be like overuse stuff. So we get a lot of overuse elbows, shoulders, wrists, uh, low backs, um, and things like that. I also worked on the sports car side for Chip Ganassi race teams. Uh, so with them, you see a completely different thing because it's more like NASCAR in that they have to run around the car. They're only allowed to have two guns, uh, but the wheels are a lot heavier. So an Indy car, uh, the rear tire is about 40 pounds Uh, on the sports car side. So these are the cars that do like the 24 hours of Le Mans. Um, Those tires are close to 100 pounds Um, and they're having to place those and they have to run around the tire. So that means they're bending over with 100 pounds, whereas our Indy car pit crew are on their knees changing the tires. So whereas we saw a lot of elbows and shoulders with Indy car because they're, you know, I don't see if you can see me, you're muscling the tire on there with, um, with our sports car guys, they're having to bend and place the tire and then put it on. So we saw a lot more low backs and stuff like that with our sports car side. Um, but you're still dealing with like the rigors of the travel because those guys are also mechanics. And so like on the sports car side, like when they go do Le Mans, the 24 hour race, um, they don't have a cutoff for their garage hours. And so that's something that you need to keep in mind because the strength coach is also helping them with the nutrition side of things and hydration and all of that stuff too. Um, so they may be working until 11 or 12 o'clock at night at the track and then turn around back at the track at like 5 a.m. the next day. So when they go to France for like two weeks for Le Mans, they're working, you know what I mean? So uh, how do you you know, help them deal with being in a foreign country, making sure they have the food that they need, uh, any sort of hydration that you can help with, uh, anything that you can give them as far as soft tissue work or whatever. And just basically the goal is to just keep them going throughout that two weeks. Um, because at the end of that two weeks, you know, they've been putting in, you know, 12, 15, sometimes 18 hour days. And then at the end of that, you got to go do a 24 hour long race where you're changing tires every hour. Um, so, so it can be a lot, but like I said, it's more about, um it's it's kind of a, a difference where you know in NASCAR you're worried more about performance and how fast they can get it done. With IndyCar and sports cars, you're worried about keeping the guys healthy so that they don't make mistakes and so that we don't have to replace them with someone uh so that they can keep the team together and finish the season. So it's a little bit different mindset, you know, from the two two different uh types of things. So um as the strength and conditioning coach, whether you're working with, you know, the sports car side or the indie car side, you're also helping out being the pit stop coach. Uh, so my job to, to, I guess, fully answer your question. So like my job, the first half of the day, I would have the guys coming in in groups. So, and they would typically come in with their car group. So with Ganassi, it was the eight, nine, 10 and 11 car, right? So it's, you know, Marcus Erickson's group, Scott Dixon's group uh alex pillow's group and then it was jimmy johnson when i first got there uh, and then marcus armstrong uh for this season um you would have them come in with their car group so they would come in they'd get a 45 minute lift in um and you would rotate their groups through and have the mc cars MC teams come in and then after lunch <clears throat> we would typically do a pit stop practice where we had a practice car in the truck bay And you're just practicing just like any other team would and you're videotaping each practice. So we would have, excuse me, a couple different camera angles set up. And then, you know, my job is to help with film breakdown after that, just like any other sports team would. So at the racetrack, you're also helping with film breakdown. So my job at the racetrack would be to set up an overhead camera and a front view camera uh, for each pit box. And so when we would have a pit stop, uh, the guys would perform their pit stop. I would videotape from those two angles and then we had um, software to where they could come back over the wall as soon as the pit stop was over and then we're watching it right there during the race so they would get immediate feedback uh, if something messed up or whatever and what changes they need to make for the next pit stop so uh, it's it's really high energy really fast-paced work environment. Uh, Like I said, it was a really cool, cool opportunity for me. So I'm really glad I got the opportunity to do that and, uh, you know, won an Indy 500 while I was there. So that was real cool. So, yeah, uh, like I said, a really fun job. Really enjoyed the the work of that. So,
0: yeah, I get it. Sounds a lot. uh, Sounds like a good mix knowing your background with football and strongman. I mean, moving stuff around in weird positions, carrying it, it having to still be fast yet efficient. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, using film to get real life feedback just like we see on saturdays when teams come off the field or even on sundays with nfl they get a ipad or whatever to check out what they were doing wrong and then really make those changes on the field so that's that's kind of cool i didn't realize it was that detailed Mm -hmm. um so i guess from that going now that you're back in the high school uh conditioning realm you know what is your position now entail i, I, I want to say i understand that you're you're the head guy there now in mooresville but you also said now that you've also got uh, somebody that helps you with the speed and agility component so i guess how does that dynamic work and then you know on top of what you kind of talked about i guess yesterday at the nsca clinic how do you guys work together using that speed and agility program around what you're doing in the weight room with a day-to-day go of high school kids that are 14 to 18
1: so here at mooresville we've got 500 kids in our apc program which is really pretty impressive considering it's a school of 1500 so that means we've got a third of the population in here in the weight room uh so it's a a really awesome opportunity for uh for bram and i um we have two strength coaches here well i mean so technically my job title is strength and conditioning coach his job title is strength and speed coach uh so in my mind You know, strength, speed, conditioning, all those things have to work together anyways, seamlessly. You can't have, you know, one mindset for your speed training that you're doing and then have something completely different philosophy or whatever for the strength training part of you do. For me, those things kind of kind of mesh together. Right. Right. So so he oversees more of the speed component, but I mean we like i said we have to be you know communicative and and things like that about what they're doing because at the end of the day we're both strength coaches so um so typically what we do is basically we we hash out you know before you know the week before whatever what the plan is you know long term and short term of what we're going to do both you know for next week and next month and you know how it is when you're trying to put together a year-round program um So he kind of oversees that. And then I kind of oversee the strength part, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to let him have some input on what we're doing. He absolutely has input on what we're doing from the strength side. Just, just like I have input on what we're doing from the speed side. Uh, So far it's been really good uh, having someone else to bounce ideas off of and things like that. That's there with you every day. That's working with the same kids Uh, in the past, everywhere I've been, I've been like the guy, right? You know, kind of similar to to what you've been in most of your career, where you're the one making the decisions. You're the one doing all the programming um, this way. I feel like you have a, an opportunity to have someone else to, you know, look at things from maybe a different perspective or you know, cause we, we each have our own biases, right? Yep. Um, no matter how good of a coach you try to be, everybody's going to have their, their thing. And they kind of get, I felt like I kind of get stuck in a rut of what I do. Like, this is what I've always done. This is the way that I do it. You know, I've been doing it for almost 20 years now. Um, and having him, especially, you know, a guy as, as young as him, he's 28, um, to kind of bring some new energy and some new ideas, uh, and things like that it, have been really good so far. And, you know, overall, I think that Mooresville is just a really great place. Our administration obviously is, is bought into what we're doing. You know, we've got a 7,500 square foot weight room. I've got all brand new Sornex. So I've got, um, eight double-sided Sornex racks. So I've got 16 racks. Each one of those racks has elite form on them, uh, that we use. So we can track bar velocity, power outputs, uh, work, uh, rats, you know, we can, we can do a lot with the, the elite form. Uh, we've got the vault uh, system with the timing gates. We've got force platforms. Uh, you know, you name it. Um, so far our administration has not said no to, to, to yet. So maybe we're just not <laughs> asking for enough, but the thing <laughs> that we've wanted, they've been, they find a way to get it done. Um, it just shows, you know, how dedicated they are to, to this whole thing, you know, and they know that, you know, having a third of your students in one class, you know, the the think about the impact that you can have in the the culture of your school as a whole from that. Right. So, um, so they they are certainly bought in, and that's nice.
0: Yeah. Cool. So I guess with the uh, the speed and the agility component, I guess it's just it's football season. So we'll take football here as an example. There's, I want to say, you guys are probably what six games in. So there's a couple left before play about a month left before sectionals hits. Um, when you guys are lifting in season, what does that look like for your guys' schedule? Obviously games around Friday nights. Um, how does the, the speed and agility training coalesce with the strength and conditioning, like on a, on a weekly schedule, I guess, in season.
1: For our in season kids, we fo- mainly focus on, on the linear speed. Um, our, our kind of thought processes that they're typically getting the change of direction that they need from practice. Uh, so I mean, they're out there doing that every day during practice, as long as if they're going full speed in practice, which they are, then they're getting a ton of volume, uh, cutting, changing directions, things of like that, that nature. So what we focus on uh, from, from the speed and agility standpoint is mostly uh, linear speed. We do change of direction uh, typically after school. So our off season athletes come in after school. Uh, okay. So that's a good, good way to get the change of direction work in with them uh, so that means in class we're focusing on linear speed because that's when i've got most of my in-season kids right obviously the in-season kids are not coming after school um so that's the kind of the focus there um we're in kind of a different situation now because bram was able actually able to start uh in june uh working here at mooresville just because of the way his teaching contract worked out uh, they weren't able to start me until August. So basically, I started in season. So that's the the worst time to start, you know, as a strength and conditioning coach is in season. So, uh, but that's kind of the way it was. So, um, so as far as from a strength program, you know, perspective, uh, we would mainly you know front squat at this point. Um, We haven't introduced back squats yet. Um, Not that I'm anti back squats because certainly I'm not. Um, But I I try to focus on things that we can do. Uh, in the weight room that are easy for them to recover from because you have to keep in mind, they still have to go to practice after school. So I don't want to destroy them in the weight room and then they can't perform a practice. That needs to be the goal. I'm a big uh, Dan John fan and he always says, keep the goal, the goal, right? So football, yep. uh, volleyball, you know, uh, soccer, those are the goals right now um, with our fall season. So, um, so to answer your question, we focus on things that they can do, mm-hmm. Uh, and recover in enough time to be able to go to practice afterwards and not take away from the game. So as far as our schedule looks like, I usually like to keep Mondays uh, pretty fast and light. Uh, from my experience, if if you're trying to do any sort of uh, top speed or acceleration work on Mondays, it usually doesn't go very well uh, just because kids are a, either playing in tournaments or doing whatever all weekend. Uh, let's say I'm a football player. Okay, well, I played on a football game Friday night. You know, and then I probably didn't get to bed early. Uh, I might have to go play in the JV game Saturday morning because our kids are allowed five quarters a week. So if you play two quarters of the varsity game, you can still get three quarters in, in the JV game on Saturday. Right. So a lot of them will do that um and then you got to remember their high school kids and i don't know what you were like in high school but i was probably not going to bed on time uh on saturday night i was hanging out with my friends you know staying up late doing that kind of thing and then you know you're doing whatever on a sunday and then here you are monday morning in apc class um, so i found that we are the fastest actually on tuesday um so my mondays is usually, like I said, uh, a little bit lighter lift, like we might bench on Mondays, uh, do some upper body work. Uh, We will save our speed work for Tuesdays. So Tuesdays we are either working on acceleration or top end speed. We'll typically rotate those. Um, I know that a lot of people will make the argument that, you know, a lot of field sport athletes don't really need to focus on top speed because they rarely hit it. But from everything I've read and my own personal experience, top, working on top speed is the tide that rises all the boats. I've never seen someone with a fast top speed who is slow, acceler- slow at accelerating. Uh, I'll put it that way. Yep. Uh, so improving top speed and you know improves you know rate of force development and all those other properties. So whether they hit top speed or not, you know during their game. Uh, Is kind of irrelevant because I think that it's important because it improves a lot of other qualities. Um, And then from there, you know, we'll hit our either top speed or acceleration on Tuesdays. From there, um, we'll get our heavy lower lift in on Wednesdays. And then from there, it's kind of we it may be week to week on what we do on Thursday and Friday. It depends on where we're at in the season and what we're doing. So um, Thursday could be another another speed day. Uh, it could be another upper body day. Not that I'm a huge upper lower split guy, because I, I feel like, you know, athletes do kind of need total body. Um, but it just helps us with organization, really.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then by the time Friday rolls around, we're either doing it's either a fast Friday or uh, some sort of competition or we if we haven't gotten to lift because we got like other stuff you got to think about when you're working in the school setting. Like like we have quarterly exams next week. So our schedule is going to be off. So that's going to change our uh, program because of our schedule being changed. Uh, so a lot of times it's fast Fridays where we're, that mean we might actually time something. So if we're going to time uh, a fly ten, if they're in season, we probably won't time a forty. Obviously, especially for football, I'm not going to have them running forties the day of the game.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, for lots of reasons, um, I don't know that it'll necessarily hurt them. But what happens if they run a slow forty? You know, it's a tenth of a second slower or whatever that happens, but then they're going to be in their head mentally all day and play a football game. So I don't want to do that. So we might do a flight 10 or we might do uh, some sort of competitive sprint where we're not timing them. Um, Usually, what we'll do is we'll split them up. We might have upperclassmen go do that. Our lower class, our underclassmen, I shouldn't say lower, the underclassmen, freshmen and sophomores, typically I'll take them back into the weight room. Uh, I feel like that's where we can make the most improvement with them uh, just because they I've got freshmen who've never even touched a weight before. So they need a little bit more time for development. So that's why it's nice having two strength coaches. where we can 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 divide and conquer. So he'll take them, uh, the upperclassmen, sometimes uh, go time some fly tens or fly 20s or something like that. And then I'll have freshmen and sophomores in the weight room with me. We're just working on technique, fundamentals. Uh, and things like that for those kids.
0: Cool. And I guess now that you've got, uh, all the technology at your hands, I'm, I'm not sure if this is the, I'm not, do you have that stuff at Whiteland? No. Okay. So um, this, is your, this is your first year. It sounds like with that, how is it going using force plates and elite form and all that?
1: It's nice. I mean, our force plates that we have, we can measure mod RSI. Uh, obviously we can measure vertical jump. Um, but the one thing that, that we really like is contract time, like how fast they can turn from the eccentric portion of a jump to the concentric port. And we've, what we've just noticed, just anecdotally, like I don't have any research to back it up, but just analy- anecdotally, our best athletes – can contract the fastest. And that's one thing that we can measure with our force plates. So just being able to dial in our training a little bit more for, for more advanced kids. Now that doesn't say that we're doing that kind of stuff with our freshmen and sophomores, because we're not, um, they need to focus more on fundamentals and not worry so much about RSI and, and things like that. They need to know, you know, can I squat or can I do a pushup? You know what I mean? So, um, so that's, again, that's, it's really helpful having two of us there to be able to do that. Like I touched on earlier. Um, I like, I like using the elite form uh, for, we use it right now for our front squats, our bench and our hand cleans is really about all we're using it for so far. Um, I like it because it puts a governor on them too. Um, Right now, if I keep it set at 0.7 meters per second for their peak velocity, that means that they're not going to be able to grind if you know what I mean. And if you've ever seen a teenager grind out a lift that, you know, they're really struggling, hit that last rep, you've seen what their technique starts to look like. Right. So it starts to go bad. Right. So what I can do with that is I can say, okay, well, as soon as you fall below this threshold for whatever lift it is, then the set is over. Right. And you either have to lighten the weight or you have to move it faster. Um, So it allows me to like I said, put a governor on so I don't have kids grinding out reps week in and week out, you know, we can keep the bar speed up this way. And it gives them kind of a, it also gives them kind of a challenge. Like the the kids are competitive, they want to compete. So if me and you got the same weight on the bar, I'm going to try and move it faster than you, right? Type of thing. So, uh, it allows me to also do that. It also allows us to dig a little bit more into the kids recovery. So typically what we'll do with our force plates is you know, we may, we've only got one set. So obviously I've got my group sizes are 75 to 90, so I can't do everybody. Right. Um, But what I can do is I can take like a small sample of kids from each sport. So let's say we might do football next week. I can take some of our varsity guys. I can measure their mod RSI. And that kind of gives me a little input as far as how their recovery is going. So we might notice week to week, you know, little changes in their RSI and we notice if their RSI is going down, Right week to week, then we need to make some modifications because they're not recovering from their game. So we've been able to do that. Like, so, you know, last week, for example, we noticed across the board about a 4% drop in RSI, reactive, you know, strength index. Um, So what we were allowed, what we were to do, we were to change the training up a little bit, keep them a little bit more fresh. And then they came in and balled out on Friday against Whiteland Um, and, you know, didn't look tired, didn't look, you know, they came out fresh and hard um so that's the thing that we're able to do and we can you know kind of keep tabs on them that way versus uh at every other place i've been whether it's danville or whiteland i just had to use my coach's eye you know i would just say you know during their warm-up do they look sluggish you know and then it's kind of subjective in your opinion on what they're thinking versus hard data and that's what that yeah. allows us to do
0: yeah so when you think you have uh 75 to 90 kids that you're Average class throughout the day in your APC. You have that many kids in one class.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Our smallest oh, yeah. class is 75.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> a lot. Yeah.
1: You, you got to have your stuff together.
0: Yeah. So I guess with that many kind of leads me to this question, I was had it anyways, but with that many kids, obviously are, are the classes designed where in one hour it's all football or do you have a mix of a variety of athletes all day?
1: We, we try to do that. Um, so our first period is football. Um, but there to fill up the class, you know, they'll have, we've got some baseball players and some non-athletes in there. Uh, but it's, I would say, excuse me, I would say 90% of that class is football. Uh, but just because of schedule, excuse me, just because of schedules, you know, we've got kids that are on kind of work study programs where they might be, they might have a job where they work half day. You know, and the school does that, or they go to uh, I think it's called Area 31. I'm not sure. Um, they have a different name for it at Whiteland, but I can't remember what it was. It's basically like, a, you know, if you want to take, you know, automotive mechanics or construction or cosmetology or whatever, there's a different school that they will actually leave campus and go to. I'm sure, you know, most high schools are doing that now. Yeah. Um, where they either bus them over there or they can drive themselves. So we've got a lot of football players that do that, which means that they may not be able to be in that first period class because uh, they also have to get their other required classes in that might conflict in it. They do try to do that, um, uh, like I said, with football. At Whiteland, we did that. At Whiteland, football had its own class. We had about 85 in there, and it was just football. Uh, we also had a um, – Swimming and basketball class. And we also had a baseball softball class while I was in Whiteland. Um, and that made it uh, a lot easier for me. Um, yeah. Not, not because we do anything really sports specific. I'm not really, I think, I don't think at the high school level you'd need that uh, kids just generally need to get stronger, faster, more athletic. Uh, but it would allow me to organize it a little bit differently around their game schedule. And so the whole class, if the whole class has a game on a Thursday, that makes it a lot easier to organize than if you've got five dudes who have a class on a Thursday and then the other 70 kids don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so just from an organization standpoint and your training, it makes that a lot easier. Um, like I said, at Mooresville, we, we do have that with football right now, uh, but that's the only one. Okay. Um I'm not saying that we won't in the future. That's kind of how it was when I got to Whiteland too. And then once I got to know the administration a little bit better and they got to kind of see how I operate, um, they started giving me a little bit more input on the class schedule. And that's what I'm kind of anticipating to happen here.
0: Yeah, cool. So with your your other classes outside of football, when you've got different sports, are those kids all still running very similar training programs or do you have like a – baseball specific a softball specific where they're i don't say they're off doing their own thing but they're almost in like i guess many pods of their sport or are they just mm-hmm. doing the same general program if they're in the off season
1: uh if they're in the off season it's probably going to be pretty similar uh but i do make uh some changes just for some athletes just because of what what they go through like you know baseball softball for example they just had a, a little small like fall season Right. So uh, some of them, they were playing fall ball. We also have safety squat bars from elite FCS here. Uh, I also have, um, I call them Swiss bar, you know, football bars, whatever neutral grip bench press bars uh, and things like that, that I will use. And again, it's not because I, I think that high schoolers need sports specific training, but I also do want to do what I can to mitigate any sort of uh, injuries uh, not that they're going to injure themselves, but hopefully you guys get what I'm trying to say. Um, so for this, for the last probably month, I've had all of our baseball and softball players squatting with a safety squat bar versus a regular bar. Uh, like I said, we haven't introduced back squats yet um, just because we're getting there. So all we've been doing is front squats. So yeah. Um, I remember when I played baseball, how sore my shoulder was. The last thing I would want to do is getting to a front squat position in a front rack position. Uh, so I made that modification for our baseball and softball, just because we get a lot of sore shoulders and elbows, you know, during that time. Uh, so I had them safety squat bar. Uh, we can have them use a the neutral grip bench bar. So instead of a clean, they might do a clean pull. Uh, instead of a front squat, you know, we might do a safety squat bar. Uh, instead of a bench press we might either do dumbbells or a neutral grip bench and it's just to uh, to keep that uh, stress off of their off of their joints while they're in season so i i do make those changes for them as far as our in-season kids go um they're going to do that i do a lot more trap bar deadlift uh with our in-season kids than i would like squatting uh just because i can take out the eccentric part that way and so the recovery would be a little bit quicker
0: Cool. Yep. I think I agree hundred percent there. Uh, we do a lot of the same stuff with a lot of our baseball softball kids that basically seems like they play year round. It makes mm-hmm. it really, really hard to manage those stresses mm-hmm. whenever their shoulders are constantly banged up. Um, yeah. so I think, I think you kind of rolled into my, uh, next question here with, I guess, just in general, this is more of a philosophy based question than just saying for specifically for any sport, but you know, when you're looking at phases of seasons, regardless of what sports in play, what are you looking at at a seasonality perspective from an off season to a preseason to end season to a to a postseason? How do you uh, and Graham sit down, look at stuff, and say this is what our goal is going to be for this type of season for these athletes?
1: Uh, so. We, we haven't had an off season here yet. <laughs> um, typically during the off season, that's, you know, my time, chi- my time to kind of rewind a little bit. And uh, by that, I mean, dial it back as far as, okay, at the beginning of the off season, we're going to work on uh, taking a step back and focusing in dialing in our technique. So we might take a week or two with those kids and not even have a barbell on their hands and have it be more of a, like a Charlie Francis type, uh you know unstructured uh you know recovery period for a couple weeks off during the season where they're still working out they're still going to get something out of it but it might be something completely different than what they've been doing um we can dial in technique and things like that on the off season and then you know start ramping up the volume um you know towards you know probably about 3 quarters of the way through the off season uh, while we're still making some strength improvements and then we can kind of change our focus uh, to get more strength and power improvements as the season gets closer into preseason uh, during the season. I'm not I'm not one of those maintenance guys. I'm not a guy that's going to try to write a, a program for maintenance during the season. I feel like if you're doing that, then you're not making any progress. I feel like there's still progress that we can make during the season. You just have to be careful about how you go about it, because I don't want to negatively affect the recovery either. Um so we will still progress our lifts during the season. Uh, it just may be through uh, lower volume uh, is kind of how I do it. Um, I'm not really like, like, I understand. I, I've studied a lot of block periodization, but I really like concurrent a little bit better um, just because I feel like we can improve on multiple qualities at once. That doesn't mean that we're not going to focus on one thing or the other. Uh, I look at training as more like a dimmer switch, you know, if you're familiar with a dimmer switch, like in a house, right? It doesn't completely turn the lights off. It just adjusts them, right? So, um, you know, during the off season, we might be working on some some strength and hypertrophy, but that means that doesn't mean that power is going to be completely phased out because it will still be there. It just mean, might mean lesser attention, lesser volume dedicated to that. Um, I think that you only have like so much you can do. And so if you want to improve on one thing, you're going to have to give a little bit somewhere else. Uh, But that doesn't mean you completely shut that thing off. So it's like same thing, you know, during the season, Um, we're still going to work on power output. You know, obviously we're still going to work on maintaining strength, but we're still going to do a little bit of hypertrophy with our assistance work. So that never completely goes away.
0: Gotcha. And um, to dive into that a little bit more, what, um, when you're, with the concurrent training, I guess just let's just take like a a regular day in the weight room for you guys when it when a group comes in, what does that look like? I don't I guess for my first question before you how long do you have? I'm assuming it's probably like 40-ish minutes, probably. Yeah, 38. 38 minutes. Okay, so you got 38 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Uh what does that look like uh from a from a coaching perspective? I think if anybody's listening 38 minutes, you gotta be On your stuff
1: right i (laughs) guess
0: i guess what does your day look like when the kids walk in what do you guys from a warm-up perspective to your main movements to when they walk out the door
1: so we will um we have rack assignments so the kids get four minutes to get dressed so as soon as the bell rings they're in the locker room when the bell rings they're changed uh they have four minutes to get to the rack our locker rooms are kind of down the hall a little ways it probably takes them about 30 seconds to get from the locker room door to their rack, right? So at that four minute mark, uh, we have them in rack assignments. Uh, so Coach Wood, uh, Bram Wood is his name, uh, he takes one set of racks. I take the other. I walk down through there and then I can just count. I know if I've got six kids to a rack, I can just look, see if one kid's missing or whatever. And we put in attendance that way because you got to put in attendance and do all the school stuff too, right? Yep. Uh, so so first thing we do is that once we've got attendance put in, then we have a little pre block that we go through uh, that depends on what we're going to do for the day. So if it's more of a lower focused uh, day, then we might do some hip mobility, um, some ankle mobility, and then some activation work in our pre block. Uh, so we use you know Google Slides. We can put those up on the TVs. Um, they'll go through their pre block. It'll take them three to five minutes. Uh, knock that out. And then we get rolling with our program. So um, so like for tomorrow, for example, Monday, uh, it's going to be actually, I don't want to call it a deload week. It's just a, a week every, I, I usually run three-week cycles. And then a week after that, I just do something completely different, right, for a week uh, just to give their bodies just a little different stimulus. Uh, so for next week, for example, we're going to go some hand cleans on the elite form. Uh, we're going to go a little lighter, focus on speed. So we're going to be at 1.2. Uh, meters per second on their clean. So for those I won't assign a weight. Uh, so what I will do is I will just assign a speed, right? And so whatever weight you can use to hit that speed is what we want to do. Uh, so we go over that with the kids at the beginning. Uh, they'll have two blocks. Usually we just do an A block, B block. Uh, I would take the kids and I try to make sure that those two blocks don't interfere with one another. So if A block has a hang clean in it, then that means we might be able to bench press and B block, right? Because I'll set I'll split the kids in half. You know, have half the kids go start on bench, have half the kids start on hang cleans, and then they switch. That way we can get them both in. Uh, if everybody started on a block, then we're not going to get the whole lift in. Does that make sense? Yep. yep. Uh, so I try to pick, make, when we design the workout, I try to make two blocks that won't interfere with each other. So that means, you know, we're probably not going to squat on the same day we do cleans, right? Because I don't want to squat and then go try to clean Yep. Uh, or do anything explosive after that. Um, so we get that done. Uh, then we tap. Uh, they can go till about the seven minute mark, to where seven minutes are left in class. You know, we turn the music off. It's time to clean up, and then they get four minutes to go get dressed before the bell rings. And so awesome. we've got to be a well-oiled machine.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm guessing that when you when you first came in, was that something that you guys had to establish, or was that something that was already somewhat established there, and you modified it, or is this something completely from scratch? Like, hey, this is how we're going to do this. And obviously they, I'm sure, took took it on pretty easily is what it sounds like. But Mm -hmm. I'm curious if that was something that you had to establish yourself. Uh, Not
1: really. Uh, They had strength coaches here before us who have a similar philosophy. You know, Craig and Chris, uh, they've moved on to Avon uh, and are the strength and conditioning coaches there uh, in a similar uh, setup. So they do, they have probably more similarities than differences from what I do. Uh so for as far as the kids perspective it was not like a whole new thing. Now some of the things are different like um I'm not a big fan of like maxing out uh with teenagers. Um so that was something that they did which you know right or wrong whatever I'm not going to not going to debate the, that with them but um this just not something I care to do. Uh I feel like we can track strength improvements with submaxes and so we do that. Um so so there's little differences that the kids are getting used to um you know, philosophy wise, but as far as that setup, no, that was, that was pretty easy to, you know, hit the ground running with.
0: Cool. And I, I think, I, I like you said that you don't max out a whole lot. I'm not a, a big fan of that either. I'm like, you if you can track the submaximal weights and the submaximal weights are improving in the right direction. Then as a whole, your program's improving in the right direction. A one-rep max isn't going to necessarily give you any more data than you weren't getting. And I think if you've got the elite form too, even if you've got, you know, bar speeds on, uh, particular weights, if the speed is the same and the weight is increasing on on the exercise that you're doing, then that obviously also shows improvement from sure, a performance yeah. perspective. So, I mean, it, there, it seems like you guys have enough technology that you don't have to one rep max to be able mm-hmm. to go to the coaching staff and say, well, this is, this right. is how things are progressing, so mm-hmm. we're doing well. And it sounds like I'm assuming your football coaches are obviously on board too than if that's what you guys are doing, which is awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah the football coach um uh mike gillen he's um he's really kind of hands off with it and i don't mean that in a bad way or a negative way he's just kind of like you do your job i'll do my job and that that's completely fine
0: yeah.
1: uh so you know that's kind of his perspective he's like i don't try to interfere with what you guys do he's like you guys are professionals i'm gonna let you handle it um you know so that that's been great so far
0: cool and then i guess my my final question i think this is I feel like high school strength conditioning is obviously becoming more popular. Uh, I feel like, especially in our state, Indiana, um, I'm mm-hmm. sure as you know, Tarot is still behind. There's still not strength coaches in the white rooms. Um, so essentially that's led myself and Adrian to kind of take that on our own hands where we did a little seminar for the, the sport coaches that wanted it. And it was literally, I mean, we did everything from hands-on part to a lecture part. And the, the turnout was abysmal. I was pretty disappointed that out of, you know, 60 coaches in Terre Haute, if not more, only four showed up. Like, that's pretty pretty bad. But I guess seeing you've seen both things, what um, what do you think is going to take for more high schools to buy into strength and conditioning? Do you think resources are the ultimate issue? Or do you believe education is the ultimate issue? Or maybe the, the low staffing, the low ability to get teachers and coaches to be able to uh, have like an APC class that are dual qualified to be able mm-hmm. to do that? I guess, what are your thoughts there?
1: I think that the, the continue growing it, especially in Indiana. I think the national high school strength and conditioning association is doing a good job of, you know, continuing to grow the strength and conditioning profession and just be, just to have uh, an organization that kind of uh, represents all strength coaches and, and puts us, you know, sets us apart as professionals. I feel like that's the big thing uh, that's holding a lot of places back is they don't see strength coaches as professional coaches. Um, They kind of see it as a gym teacher uh, who happens to do that or the football coach who happens to, you know, the guy might've lifted some weights while he was in high school or, you know, whatever, played college football or, or whatever. So all of a sudden he's now the expert, right? And I feel like that's where you get with a lot of your smaller schools. Um, i think competition will help with that um because i think that you'll with schools that don't have dedicated strength coaches or a strength and conditioning program in place they're going to continue to lose ground to the schools that do um they're going to have a harder and harder time every year being competitive uh like Terre Haute north Terre Haute south for example you know they're having to compete with us you know yeah. they play us they play mooresville they play whiteland they play danville You know, they play Avon. um, And those are, you know, schools who have hired strength and conditioning professionals uh, and have invested in it. And I think that it'll just take it'll just take more and more education from the higher or towards the higher ups uh, of getting the word out and uh, letting them see the value in having uh, a dedicated strength and conditioning coach who. Um, you know, not only cares about the athletes, but is knowledgeable and has the experience to do it. Um, I feel like high school strength and conditioning coaching is kind of the new frontier in strength and conditioning because you're actually starting to get like higher paying jobs. Um, like, I mean, I'm making more here at Mooresville than I ever did at Indiana State. And I was a division one strength coach, Yep.
0: Um,
1: you know, but Mooresville is paying me more here. And you're starting to see that a lot. I mean, there's a lot of, I can name, I think at least three strength coaches here in the state that are making six figures, you know, working for a high school. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so, um, and it's going to get more and more competitive. I mean, right now I'm sitting in Mooresville's weight room and you know, they've put almost seven figures in this weight room, you know, and we've got, like I said, a third of the student body in here. Um, you know, like I said, it's going to get tougher and tougher for schools who aren't doing that to to compete. And I know that, you know, some administrators don't see the value in athletics, but I can tell you right now, I know kids that the only reason why they continue going to school and trying in class is because they want to play ball. Right. And staying eligible and having that avenue keeps them off the street. Right. And it keeps them in class and it keeps them focused on their schoolwork because they know if they get us, they can't play. Right. And so a lot of kids, that's all they got. Right. And so I've also seen it, you know, if athletics are good, you know, the whole morale of the school improves.
0: Right. So
1: if you've got a team that's going to state, it doesn't matter what team it is, you know, football, volleyball, I've seen wrestling, I've seen baseball, you know, these teams, they, they go to state, then all of a sudden everyone in school is hype about it and everybody in school has a good attitude um i don't know of any data on discipline or anything like that but i'd be willing to say that you probably have less discipline there too or less discipline issues should not say less discipline less yeah. discipline problems um in schools when, when athletics are winning like i said i don't have any data it's just anecdotal from my
0: experience yeah and I, I think even this it's probably not a huge difference but they're even probably the small local economy is probably also better too because people are going to the games or are going out to get food afterwards they're mm-hmm uh supporting the school system in some some degree or fashion and that money has to go somewhere which then eventually in turn goes back to the school if they're going to more watch more games that's just revenue generated at the yeah. end of the day I it's mean I witnessed that at, so
1: I went into that at Danville you know when I first got hired at Danville uh the football team was not good um they won one game um and then they the school board you know made a change with the football staff um, football staff was the new staff was a little bit more open to, you know, strength and conditioning. Previous staff was not. Um, and so they hired a new staff. That's right when I started. Um, Casey Woods was his name. He's down in Florida now. Um, but he was a head football coach. You know, he worked out, you know, with the football team. He was that balled in. So whatever we were doing, he was right there doing it with him. So we were squatting, he was squatting, you know, and he worked out right alongside him. Uh, Right or wrong, I don't know, but it, it was great for the the time and for the morale of the team. And we went from one win to the very next season, same kids. Very next season, we won sectionals. We beat Chittard and won sectionals and went on wow. to regionals and won conference, right? And then the year after that, we went to semi-state. Uh, we're one, probably one quarter away from going to state. We had one bad quarter and that's in that my state game. And that's all it took. We lost the game, didn't go to the state championship. Uh, but I can tell you like from, uh, the perspective of like attendance at the games. I mean, when we first started there at Danville, attendance was abysmal. Like we would look, the, the student section would be completely empty. You know, the, the only people there would be like moms and dads and that was it. Yeah. You know, so you had, you know, 11 sets of moms and dads and that was about it that, that was there. Um by the time that regional game came around my second year there they closed down the entire town so the entire town closed so think about that all the businesses closed that friday Um, they decorated the town in danville high school you know football uh gear and the entire town showed up at the game um kickoff i just remember it vividly because i would always start warm-ups at six o'clock as a seven o'clock kickoff um so I showed up at five 30 for a six o'clock warm up, and it was already standing room only in our stadium. Wow. It was a high school stadium hour and a half before kickoff and it's already standing room only. And the entire town was closed. So just that level of excitement that you can bring with athletics to a small town like that is, is unreal.
0: Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, the last thing I got for you is, you know, what's next for you? Obviously this is, uh, relatively new for you, but I guess, you know, now that you're at Mooresville uh, with a new coaching staff, uh, both sport-wise and uh, sounds like with Coach Graham with you, I guess, what's next for you guys at Mooresville High School?
1: Well, I mean, we're right now, like I said, we're finishing up football season. Uh What's next for me as far as Mooresville goes is, you know, just continuing for the next, you know, decade or however long, just building Mooresville, uh Mooresville athletic programs, you know, just kind of um taking what they've given us so far like i said the administration has been super supportive of strength and conditioning here um and just continuing to to build it uh to where we can you know compete you know statewide at every sport um we've you know mooresville has never won a state championship in anything and our goal is to change that we even put a a a big sign on the wall uh that says who's next and really it should say who's going to be the first because our plan is, you know, whoever wins that first state championship is going to get a big plaque up on the wall and that's going to decorate our weight room. That's where I feel like those trophies should go because that's where they're earned. Um, so we're, we're continuing to do that. We're just continuing to build the culture that Craig and Chris, previous strength coaches, started with. They did a great job of building that culture. Obviously, you wouldn't have a third of the school in your program and the school shelling out seven figures if they didn't do their part to build that. So we're just going to kind of continue where they left off and you know just keep building this monster here, and that's what we're doing.
0: Awesome, man. That sounds great. Well, I know uh, I'm sure we'll probably see you at some point, whether it be you know, Powerlifting Meet, Mooresville coming, uh, I think you guys are in our sectional now. Is that right?
1: Uh, I'm not for sure. Honestly, I, uh, I've been kind of drinking out of the fire no. hose since I got to Mooresville. So uh, I think it's I Franklin would...
0: and Whiteland. I think you guys were, I think now they've, they moved the sectionals around uh, yeah. last year, or two years ago or whatever it was. So I don't even know who all they are in there now. I, just, I know Whiteland is for sure, but yeah. I'm not sure about you guys.
1: Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Whiteland's 5A and we're 4A. So I don't know. Okay, um, So we might be in a different section. I, I'm
0: not for sure. Yeah, we're 5A. So What's that? That's Our football's 5A.
1: Yeah, so we're yeah. we're 4A, so we would be in a, a different section. So, so so you guys are even bigger
0: than yeah. Mooresville. Yeah. I, I would say North and South are about the same size as you guys. I think North is a little bigger this year. They had a big incoming freshman class. Uh, south I ran into that issue last year. Um, they let the kids bounce around between schools pretty, I want to say – uh, liberally, but it's not as strict as it should be. So kids bounce around between schools a little bit more. Um, but they're both around the same size as you guys. I don't, I don't know why they're not four A, but they've just been five A for however long. I mean, they used to be six A with Center um, Grove and all them. But I was when I was in high school, that's who I competed against in wrestling. Those schools. Yeah. So I they they definitely moved out of what they should have been in. I agree with that, but I think they could even be four A and based on their size, but you yeah. know, who knows. Yeah, all I right, think well, they're going
1: to restructure that in the next year or two because white yeah. will definitely move up to 6A, but yeah, 2,500 yeah. students. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, that's what we continue to do. Um, I took some time off from powerlifting, you know, as you and I have talked about yeah. uh, while I was focusing on, you know, being a backup tire changer and and all that on the pit crews and so I uh, wasn't able to, you know, focus, you know, on powerlifting. I was still Uh, Still training, but, you know, as far as squatting, benching and deadlifting, I took a little time off from doing those specific lifts. But now that I'm back to working at the high school level, uh, I feel like I can implement those back into my own training. So I've been doing that Um, and I'll probably look into, you know, getting into a meet in the spring. Um, I'd love to do one sooner than that, but um, I just don't think think i'm ready to and i'm the kind of person that if i'm going to compete i want to be at my best and not just go compete for the sake of doing that so yeah i want to give myself a little time to to get back and to to get some respectable for me respectable numbers uh back up there everywhere i can go do that go back into
0: doing that so that's the goal for me right now cool all right man well i appreciate you being on jason good catching up with you yeah Um, thanks for having me yep take care man all right see you again Thanks for listening to Thirst for More podcast. Make sure you give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else you like to consume your podcast. You can also check us out on YouTube at The Smitley, where you'll find clips and lots of educational-based material for strength and conditioning and exercise science. You can also make sure you give me a follow on Instagram at The Smitley or at Team Thirst, which is my gym Instagram page. For any more future updates on Episode to come, you can make sure you follow me there. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you at the next episode.